What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back to our podcast. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Elamara. And thank you for tuning in to Whose Child Are You? <laughs> oh, anyways, we all start out how we always start out with our opening prayer. Is that me or you? The overseer. The overseer. Father, we just thank you for your blessing upon this podcast today, Father. May something that we say touch and encourage someone's life, Father. May their lives be impacted by even the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, before we start, I'm going to tell y'all a story because I haven't told nobody this story. And when I tell y'all I almost cried last night, I almost cried. So... Yesterday was Thursday. We're recording this on a Friday. Yesterday was Thursday and Thursday we have Bible study. But because, you know, everyone's in different places and ever since COVID, we've always done Bible study over Zoom. So my dad's leading Bible study. I'm, I'm not on Bible study because I do youth Bible study. Um, and there was no youth Bible study this week. So I wasn't on Bible study, but um, I had to come down to feed Aslan. Aslan is the cat. I come down. Oh, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. While um, Bible study was going on, mom was making what? Quesadillas? Quesadillas. Quesadillas in the kitchen. And then it got a little what? Smoky? Smoky. So she she opened the window. But I didn't know that mom was downstairs making quesadillas. I was not aware of this. Blissfully unaware, even though mom did text me to come help her make food. And I didn't see the text till it was too late. And that's not a lie. Um, so I come down. I write, I give Aslan his food and um, the windows are open. Unbeknownst to me, Aslan is an indoor cat. We've raised Aslan to be an indoor cat. We've had him since he was about 12 weeks old and we've raised him as much as possible to be an indoor cat. But this cat loves the outdoors. I mean, I don't know why. When a window is open, be at the window sniffing the fresh air. Like, like he likes to sniff fresh air. Like you'll hold the door open. Like sometimes because as I just get on my nerves so much, I have to hold him in my arms and just walk outside so he can sniff the air and leave me alone. Anyway, so I don't know if he knows that, you know, the window is open. I don't know if he smelled that the window was open, but Aslan figured out that the window was open. And guess what Aslan did? He ate his food and he jumped out the window. But, but I didn't, we, we didn't but I didn't notice. So it's like nine o'clock. Bible said he's been over now. And I'm like, where's Aslan? Where's Aslan? I'm like, nah, where's Aslan? I'm looking in my room. I can't find Aslan. I'm looking in my closet. I can't find Aslan. I'm looking under my bed. I can't find Aslan. I look in the, I was like, all right, it's hot. Maybe he's in the bathtub, like trying to cool off. Look in the bathtub. Aslan's not there. I'm like, dad, I can't find Aslan. He's around here somewhere. You fed him, right? Yes, dad, I fed him. Oh, he's around there somewhere. That's not my dad's accent, by the way. Um, so we're looking all over the house. I'm, I, mom's sleeping at this point. I went in mom's room, opened her, um, turned on her light, opened her, her, her curtains, opened her closet. And woke me up. And woke her up because my cat is missing, right? Elijah's not home. So I go in this room. I'm like, all right, maybe he's sleeping in Elijah's bed or something. I'm opening the door to Elijah's room. Mind you, the it's like his door is fully closed and Aslan doesn't have thumbs to push door handles down but i don't even i'm like maybe he defied the rules of science maybe Aslan is in elijah's room i go to elijah's room as i sat there i'm all over the house uh we can't find Aslan. but by this time the window is closed because my dad has closed the window so i'm like there's no way he's gotten outside like he's in this house somewhere anyway make a very long story short we're we figured out that Aslan must have jumped out the window because of the time frames I go outside. First of all, dad said he's going outside. Dad's going outside. He can't find Aslan. Because I said, it's his cat. Yeah. It is his cat. 
And I'm like, nah, I burn this, right? I'm finding Azan today. I was like, cause I was well, I was very ready. I was like, if I find my cat dead, I have to call it. I have to, I have to call it to work tomorrow. I'm not gonna. I'm mostly distressed. I can't go to work. <laughs> so I'm like, if my cat is dead, I don't know what I'm gonna do. So I'm going out. I said, Aslan, Aslan. I'm shaking the bag of treats. Aslan, Aslan. I've got my light on. Dad's coming around the corner. We live in like, a, is it a condominium? Is that like the best term to describe it? Um, in America, it would be sort of like, yes, in America, it would be condominiums. Yeah. Okay, so for American listeners, it's a condominium. For, for British, British listeners, listeners, it's terraced housing. No, it's masonette. We're, we're, we live in, in a masonette. And so we live in the bottom masonette. So daddy went on to the upper, like, upper ones and checking, like, all their front porches or whatever. He's turning, he's going around. He can't find Aslan. He's like, nah, Ellie, I can't find him. And I'm like on the verge of tears at this point. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I spent so much money on this cat and he's gone. Anyway, so I'm like, you know what? I'm determined to find Aslan. So I take my flashlight on my phone, which is at 7% at this point, And I'm in slides and, and pajama shorts. Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. Why do I shine the light under the car, the our car, mom's car, that's in front of our house and who do i see but none other than king aslan himself (coughs) (coughs) underneath the car so aslan must have went on an adventure and when we finally got him back inside because i'm like daddy i found him so dad grabs him from underneath the car um when we got back inside as i shaking like Khalif, so i said yeah you think you're bad that you went outside and you're not so bad are you Think about try to scratch me up. Look, look, and he's and his nails got clipped that day. So it's like, what was you finna defend yourself with? But yeah, so that is how my cat, as an well, daddy's cat, as an has traumatized me this week. Come back next week to see how he traumatizes me some more. And he's sleeping right now like nothing's ever happened. And I had to brush him down. I had to wipe his paws because you know you like sleeping in people's beds. Anyway, yeah, has to be clean. Have four clean paws. Anyway, that ain't got nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Um, so anyway. how are you feeling today? Now that your cat is sleeping in his bed. Sorry, your father's cat is sleeping <laughs> in his bed. Um, I feel I feel good. I'm happy that he was found because I really was like, oh, great. Aslan's dead. And I'm like, I, do, I don't know how I'm going to go to work. But how him. did you get to the conclusion that he was dead? He was just missing. Because I'm like. He Aslan doesn't like cars, so I was like, maybe he ran into the road, saw a car, like it hit him. Like I'm at this point, I'm looking for a body. I'm not even looking for Aslan. I'm looking for a body because I'm like, what is this snapped cat version? (laughs) Capped. Um, no, because I just Aslan has never gone missing before. This is the first time he's gone missing, so I don't. Oh, actually, let's correct that. He went missing, but he was in the was being fitted. But he was in the house. Dad thought he was outside, but he's actually in the house. So I really thought it was going to be another situation like that. But because I couldn't find Aslan anywhere, and I'm opening up all closets, I'm thinking Aslan has defied gravity. I'm looking under curtains. I'm like, oh, maybe he made himself liquid. He's underneath the couch. Like, I'm think I'm like, I don't know. He went into a different face. Super cat. <laughs> he's in like a different phase of mad i didn't know so i'm like you know what i'm going a bit too ahead of myself i feel like let's be a bit pessimistic and um maybe he's dead so i was looking up and down the road that's why i found him under the cars because i was looking up and down the road for his body well we thank god that aslan is alive yes lord because this cat does love a bit of prayer he does love a bit of prayer Aslan is a praying cat you know anyway 
that is really not what this is about anyway i just wanted to tell somebody that story because when i say i almost cried yesterday i almost cried (sighs) but before we get into our topic for this week we're of course going to read our scripture of the week and it's coming from psalms 139 verse 14 i am reading the NIV version and it just says i praise you because i am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are beautiful i know that full well oh and yeah. the word of the Lord. Oh, then the word of the Lord is blessed. Amen. I love that. I love that. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and that. Yeah, that's what they've been telling me all my life. All my life. You don't know that song. It's okay. Um, so, yeah. So, our topic for the week is the, I guess, the three um, stereotypes of black women in media and how they actually kind of play out in real life. Um, Mom and I have kind of had this discussion before we started the podcast that out of the three tropes we both fall into the trope of like mammy uh but let's say what the three what the three tropes are that's what i was about to do say i'm getting ahead of myself i'm ahead of myself okay according to the website al jazeera i think so i'll link it in the show notes um but the three reductive depictions of black women that we continue to see are on our screens today the mammy jezebel and sapphire are three stereotypes of black women that have been around in western culture for centuries these simplistic depictions are rooted in the slave trade and live on today faced with an entertainment industry that is dominated by men mostly white black women have gone online to tell their stories and all the clicks and likes that media executive likes mean that media executives are starting to notice so um i thought she was actually gonna tell us what each trope is because i don't know what it is well i think we can kind of we can kind of come up with what it is okay so what do you think jezebel is while i try to jezebel is that wild black woman like the very kind of provocative there you go like the provocative the that's not the that's not the word i was looking for but it won't come to me right now um then there's the, I'm trying to find what the actual sapphire trope is because I know it, but I don't want to quote it wrong. Well, the, while she's doing that, the mammy, of course, the closest thing I can say is Aunt Aunt Jemima. Yeah, like Aunt Jemima. There's that um that example I always see. It's the the black maid in Gone with the, Gone wind, with the wind, I believe. Yeah. So and she actually won an Oscar. Yeah, she was the first one to to win an Oscar. Oscar. I wish I knew her name. Okay, I found it. So the mammy is uh, like, what's the word? Traits that each um, trope would exhibit, exude. The mammy would be like self-sacrificing, nurturing, loving. And they also have this word I think is quite interesting, asexual. And um, the Jezebel one is hypersexualized. That's the word I was looking for. Hypersexualized, seductive, and exploiter of men's weaknesses. And the sapphire is emasculating, loud, aggressive, angry, stubborn, and unfeminine. That's where you get angry black woman. Exactly. So those three tropes have been used in media. And I think because they media is such a powerful tool, I think they've kind of spilled over into real life and how people actually see like real life black people that are in front of them. Um, But yeah, so do you. um, But so, yeah, that's some of the things that kind of showed me because I'm the one that said to mom, I was like, mom, like, it's giving mammy like and not even in a funny way um but even in my friend like my friend groups like even in uh predominantly my predominantly black friend groups i do find myself as i'm referred to as the mom friend like literally when i started uni 
um, one of my friends came up with the nickname for me, MD, Mother Dearest, which is I've affectionately pawned that over to mom. But that's how that nickname came about because they started calling me that because I was the one that's like, all right, guys, let's like do our work. Like, all right, guys, I have you guys eating today. Like I'm that type of friend. And I just think it's because I was raised to be loving and caring and I'm very non-confrontational or I try to be. So, um, but you see, that's where I'm different. It's not that I'm not, not non-confrontational confrontational <laughs> i am confrontational yeah. at least i think i am but you gotta pick your moments you know and i think as they kind of got to know me more they have seen my confrontational side because the person that um gave me that nickname i cussed them out on the street so i mean I've, evidently i can be you be cuss- cussing people out thank god for jesus <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, no, that's what happens when um you try to take the mick. You get cussed out on the street. Actually, he wasn't taking the mick. I'll be real. He um he wasn't using his head. So so even in that, I was cussing him out on the street for his benefit. And I do think the the mummy is the one that has the the wisdom, the motherly wisdom. Um, you know. <clears throat> Are you okay? How can you be okay? And be the one to really offer up the advice. But in in that, um, um, an expectation then arises of you. You only look a certain way. I remember when you were young um, and your father and I didn't really have a lot of money. And that's I was referred to as the quote-unquote plain Jane. Because, you know, a mammy doesn't put effort into their appearance. appearance. Yeah. They have um, head wrap mm-hmm. or a head tie. Yeah. A, a big puff poofy. Um, house dress. House dress. Um, and slippers. I mean, even in Tom and Jerry. Yeah. You see the, 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 the image of the mammy um, in her slippers. You always see her slippers and her striped socks. True. Um, you know, a mammy only carries herself a certain way. A mammy is overweight. A mammy, you know, she cooks so good that, you know, she just eats everything. Uh, and I, I just, you know, uh, you the image of a mummy, mammy, <laughs> um, is that you can't look good. You can't wear makeup. You know, the two don't correlate. And Your what, hair is not done and, you know. Yeah, and what's funny is that there's no midpoint. It's either you're a mammy or you're a Jezebel, which is the complete opposite. Like you, you find often with like Jezebel tropes, they don't know how to cook or -hmm. they're not very um, domesticated. Their, their hair is always done. Their makeup is always done. They're always dressed to the nines or dressed very provocatively. Um, So it's like, it's really funny to me that you could, because there in the middle lies the human, if that makes sense. Mm. If you're a mammy, you're you're just a mammy. If you're a Jezebel, you're just a Jezebel. If you're a mammy, we can use you for your own be- for our own benefit. If you're a Jezebel, we can still use you for our own benefit, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. In the middle, where like you know the seductiveness or the sensualness of a Jezebel and the nurturing and the caring of a mammy meet in the middle, that's like a realistic woman. But if you are to meet in the middle, then you have to see black women as human and they don't like that, do they? But that's the thing, as as you said, realistic woman. I think slavery has blurred vision so much that there is not, quote unquote, a realistic black woman image out there. Um, You know, the mammy 
image that was the 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 slave that took care of the little white kids even breastfed the little white kids so they were nurturing even to the point of using their own bodies to nurture which is goes into the self-sacrificing yeah they've sac they sacrificed their own self they sacrificed their own resources their own bodies to nurture and benefit people that it, once them kids grow up once them white kids have grew up after they have literally sucked on your breast they are going to treat you like trash but so. that's that's what was happening um you know without really just doing a whole episode about right um racism the black woman had no opinion she had no say you know she was nothing so if you can imagine that um the one of the ways that Eve, the white Christians justified being slave owners, justified slavery was that black people weren't, we was it two thirds human or two fifths it was human? Three, it was three fifths. Three fifths And that human? was like colonial times, colonial America. So we, we weren't human. So in, in essence, they had de dehumanized us. And the, I feel like these tropes and, and you can even still see them in modern media have continued to dehumanize people. And because they're so like, you know, portrayed in media and so kind of at the forefront of media and a lot of popular culture. Well, let's go back to like maybe I won't say in this time because I think we are starting to move out of it just a little bit. But if you go back to maybe like the early 2000s, different TV shows in the early 2000s, especially like white TV shows in the early 2000s, mm. you do see that trope. Like if they're like, say there's a popular, um, you know, CW show or a popular kind of teen drama at the time. If a black girl is in that, she's either the best friend, like the best friend that is very provocative and all the boys want her, da 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 or she's the best friend that is there solely for the growth of the the white character and there is a term for that and i'm gonna find it and i just can't remember it right now but like in driving miss daisy it's the magical negro trope like where he, they're here for your own development and that's it like they have no personality they have no like humanness in and of themselves the black character would be there to move the white person's story along and i mean but I mean, you look at it, you look at it in today's world and it is so much out there. There are so many talented black people, even in in the corporate world. And you will find they can only rise so far in a company. Exactly. They will, ne they will never be put in the position of, you know, under the managing director or director. But those people would be the people that are driving that company forward. Exactly. They will be the people that do the work that is necessary to get the company to the next level. Um, so, you know, you've got the mammy and you've got, uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, we may say it as... Um, Oh, what's the term like just flipping it off our tongue type of thing oh slave labor it's not a joke it, it's, it's serious it is serious and, and you know it just it really shows like you can't you can't ever forget racism or you can't ever forget slave times because i i know as much as a certain governor down in the u.s of a wants to do that you can't really you can't take it out it is embedded in the very foundation of this nate or maybe even of this nation i haven't well, really done my uk history like well that. you know, i mean i haven't done that much uk history recently but 
this country was also invo- involved in slavery. You know, many people hear the term slavery and are just thinking of slaves down south in America. There, the slave trade was alive and well in the UK. Alive and well. And see, well, I obviously didn't grow up in this school system and I only did the later part of my education in this school system. But from what I was in a sociology class and as much as race relations like our big part of society today we don't do we didn't talk about black people i remember i told my sociology teacher um he was like oh does at the end of the year does anyone have any critiques on the course i'm like sir like we talked about black feminism and the whole like so there was like the whole um topic of that day was feminism and so you had you know white feminism i think there was like postmodernism, feminism stuff like that and then there was one slide on black feminism and it was like black feminists think that black feminism isn't talked about enough and he mentioned bell hooks and that was that was the whole black feminism and i was like sir but there's like there's black feminism and in black feminism lies womanism and you know there's hip-hop feminism all which is rooted under black feminism and i was like sir um you like that is the there in in itself lies the problem you mentioned black feminism for one slide and in that slide said that black feminism isn't talked about enough you didn't fix the problem. You didn't educate us on the problem. You literally told us the problem, mentioned one black sociologist and moved on. But I think I do think now I, I went through my entire education in the UK from primary school all the way up to university. I was very much into the humanities. I loved sociology, psychology, um, you know, a little bit of history, not too much into the old stuff, you know. But in all of that, we were never, never once taught anything about black history. We learned about um, the history of our school, the history of the area, the history of the country. But never once were we taught about, was it mentioned, the role of black people in this country. And I think some of the things that shape me, which in turn have shaped you, um, when it really comes to our role as black women is because um, my mum and the, the women in my family came here in the 50s and 60s and the way they had to adapt, um, you know, really passed down to us as the next generation that was born here, how we should behave in, in order to survive. You had to, you literally had to make yourself palatable to white people to white audiences so to speak you couldn't be like your full self and there you know that this can be a topic for another time but code switching like i think even though we are ourselves at work i think we are a very toned down version of ourselves unless we are talking to each other but one one uh, of the reasons i think that was when i was growing up um i mean I, my personality the way it is today I've always been like this, but I felt that even, especially my mum, would suppress it a lot. For example, if I, um, you know, laugh just the way that I laugh now, it was like you're sounding like a market woman. Not a market woman. You know, you, you know, when, I, when a market woman, a, a person that doesn't have class. But see, they're, they're, I think since moving over here, I've learned more about classism than when we were in the U.S. But I think classism and even classism in the black race, it just, 
Well, we that yeah, I'm gonna start going off. I on think that. I, I think that should be another topic, but no, it, it is. There are very distinct, especially when I was growing up, there were very distinct classes. I came from a strict working class family. Both my parents worked. We lived in East London, and for years, I wouldn't tell people I was from East London, um, especially when I'd moved to South London and my accent had changed just a little bit. <laughs> Um, but I would I wouldn't because then you have the um, back then it was called the yuppies and the, the the black people that had quote unquote made it and they lived in a ha- nice house and it's only now that I look back at my age at my childhood at my upbringing there was never a day I went hungry there was never a day I didn't have clothes to wear so I had everything I needed but because of the class system mm-hmm. you feel inferior inferior you feel that you 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 don't have i never thought in my mind i was poor true i never thought i was poor i just thought i was missing something do you i think that's really funny because i thought we were poor and jokes and And we were so rich in america oh my god now that like i'm older and i actually like see that we were quite middle class but the reason i say that is because the way that we exhibited wealth in America, in my like in high school, in middle school, in elementary school, that's not how the other kids around me exhibited wealth. We exhibited wealth. We had a. I'm not trying to boast. We had a nice house. We had two very nice cars. I think luxury. There were two luxury cars, weren't it? Okay, let's say luxury for the purposes of moving on. Mm-hmm. But it was two very nice cars. Um, you know we got our groceries at whole foods in trader joe's and now that i'm like kind of removed out of the situation out of our city i was like wow like we actually you have to have money to shop at trader joe's like that's what people like black people now are just like discovering trader joe's like i haven't seen the girls on tiktok like oh come with me to trader joe's trader joe's got everything and i'm like i could have told you that when i was eight years old but the way that the my classmates exhibited wealth, they exhibited wealth through how, what they, how they dressed or the accessories that they had. They always had the latest pair of Jordans. They always had like, I remember when I was younger, I really wanted those Beats by Dr. Dre headphones that came in all the different colors. Like that's how they exhibited wealth. And me, because my clothes, my shoes were from like, um, we didn't have Primark over there yet. Payless. Like, Payless. Or like my clothes were from Walmart. I'm like something like we must be poor because why can't I get like this H&M shirt or why can't I shop at XYZ like or Forever 21 or Charlotte Russe and stuff like that. And that's because that's where all my friends were shopping. It's just that I guess maybe it has something to do with you being from the UK. We, our wealth was just tied up in different places. Ugh, my mouth. But yeah, our Touching wealth was, was, um, tied up in different places so i think even a talk about classism and how that you know because i got made fun of because i had um my uncle had designed shoes i don't know if you remember when an uncle designed shoes um and i was wore those for gym and everyone else had like um nikes on or jordans on and because my shoes weren't jordans they were you know xyz by my uncle they like I got made fun of and I was like all right I'm like and I never wore those shoes again after that but like thinking back even in this moment I'm just like he designed his own shoe and was able to get it manufactured like that like I, that now like going into business and having to like manufacture my own stuff 
that costs money. So the fact that I was even wearing a physical manifestation of like a design of a shoe that my uncle had made wealth, wealth. And I didn't even realize that. So classism always also ties into like the mammy trope and stuff like that. So, I mean, it just, we can go on forever. We can, we can. I think our listeners should really chime in and let us know if they, you know, want to hear more about this and if they have some questions or experiences that they themselves want to share. Yeah, because we were supposed to talk about our experience. I think we talked about everything, but I gave like one example. Um, But anyway, I do want to finish reading this article. It does say, oh, and this is from Vonnet.org. I'll actually link this one in the show notes. It says, these images and historical stereotypes of black women have real life consequences for black girls today. For example, teachers may subconsciously use stereotypical images of black females to interpret black girls' behaviors and respond more harshly to black girls who display behaviors that do not align with traditional standards of femininity in which girls are expected to be docile diffident and selfless such tainted perceptions result in patterns of discipline intended to reform the femininity of american girls into something more acceptable and actually as i was reading that i had a thought of when i was like in third grade i was quite a good kid and i think you would agree especially when it came to like being in the classroom so i was quite soft-spoken compared to the other black girls in um in my grade at that time so one time I actually had gotten in trouble I think I had my track phone remember track phones I had my track phone on my phone <laughs> out like I don't know if it was out in class or I had it in my pocket and it was supposed to be in my bag or something like that and I even though there was other people that were in the class that had you know actual behavioral issues or you know would get in trouble more often than me because I had the phone which I see now as a minor offense I was like, it was taken away from me and not even taken away from me and given to you at the end of the day. They took it away and I couldn't get it back to the end of the next day. So imagine something happened to me and I didn't have my phone. I That's an issue in of itself. But then I was taken aside and I was told off for having the phone out and the comment was meant or the comment was passed. Oh, you're supposed to be a pastor's kid, whatever, whatever. And it's just like, I've seen people do so much worse in your class And, you know, maybe they get put on a yellow card and get put on a red card. But me, I get taken aside, get yelled at. And then my identity comes into question because I had my phone out. So that I feel like that relates to the mammy trope because I was seen even as like a a nine year old or however old you are in, in third grade. You're seen as like this docile person that's supposed to be taking care of everyone else. And because in that moment I was a kid instead of a mammy, I got told off. Deep very deep so yeah i mean it it affects it affects you in every area of your life and i think i know we're like very much over time but like even as you grow up as you're seen as a mammy if you're seen as a mammy even subconsciously and this kind of goes into massage noir the boys don't want you they don't want to hang out with you but if you're seen as a jezebel or whatever you know you attract more male attention because you're not attracting that male attention as someone who falls into the stereotype or is seen as a mammy then it starts to question your beauty and your self-worth and et cetera, et cetera. so i mean that definitely is a topic for a different day but if you fall into you know one or the other of the categories or even we haven't even really talked about the sapphire trope which is like you know being loud and angry and if you're seen as that i've seen it go both ways with the sapphire trope like oh i want to hang out with her because she's fiery oh no i don't want to hang out with her because she's ghetto and loud so it's just like it affects on affects you on every level especially as a woman but I, I really don't think that is you know when you're i think black women have 
the right to be, uh, for want of a better word, because the Bible says be angry and sin not, um, to be angry, but not angry at a person, angry at the box that we have been put in and then channeling that anger in a way to bring change. But a lot of times black women are angry because of the way they've been treated. I mean... I mean, when you go back in, you know, into history, even slave times, slavery times, yes, a black man was was stripped of so many things, but a black woman was was really an object. Quite, it was just an object. object. I mean, if the slave master or or whoever the overseer, because there were overseers, and not not the type that you not are, not the type <laughs> I am, but you know, whoever wanted, to, can you could, can you imagine that woman was married to another slave, and just because someone looked at her and like, oh, I fancy her tonight. She could have been raped and have to carry, get impregnated and have to carry a child. And then this brings about the colorism. Now you have high yellow, mid yellow. Exactly. And even in that, like how dehumanizing that is to uh, have to carry the product of your trauma. Yeah. So like you have a physical. that's, That's another Another episode there. You have a physical trauma. trauma. You have a physical manifestation of your trauma in front of your face. And it's like, how now how do you navigate the dynamic of that, of trying to love and nurture this child, however, who he looks like or who she looks like, or, you know, the they may have the slave master's features. And it just, it's, it actually blows my mind the more you think about it, about how badly people were treated. And it just... And so you can't ever tell me to get over slavery because as you can see, it affects us in the 21st century. It affects us in our modern, in our modern world. And I think that's a very like surface observation because we know that, but as like in every aspect, you can literally go into every aspect of your life and see how, how racism can affect you. It affects you in the church. We didn't even talk about that, but it can affect you in the church. I mean, how many uh, white evangelicals were so against the Black Lives Matters movement based on who it like was started with or who the founders were, but like the statement still stands that Black Lives Matter, no matter who the founders or who you know started the actual organization, you can still identify or not even identify, but um, agree with those three words. So I mean that is even I'll, I'm going to go on a tangent, but you know, so yeah just just yeah so let us know what you think i think we have opened um been very transparent on this evening yeah um and you know it's a no judgment zone you know i love that saying it is a no judgment zone it is a no judgment Um, zone and you know the more that you learn and i think this is kind of inspiring me now and pushing me to go find that black history was it black britain Go oh, find a black, black, black and British. I think it's on my shelf somewhere. No, I know I have a copy. You have a copy, and it's like even looking back into that because it's like wow. You know what? A lot of times I know when I was growing up, there was an image that I had in my mind of what I wanted to look like. I said when I re- got to a certain age, I was going to get um, blue contact lenses and blonde weave mm. because you know. I don't even think it was so much the European standard of beauty. It was, I didn't want to be seen as black, mm. you know? And, and, and I mean, I, I think that's for another day, but 
being a black woman is something that is so beautiful. It really is. I mean, I think it was it's so, so beautiful. Um, but many times we don't see the beauty of it because of how we, we were treated and how we are treated. treated. Yeah. Um, and in this country, racism is so subtle. Very. It's so subtle. In America, racism is in your face. You black bitch. Like. But here it's so subtle. And, you know, that one word can alter the course of your life. Mm. It literally can. Because people, racism is inbred. It's inbred in people's thinking, how people react to you in the workplace, what they will allow you to do, how far they will allow you to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying this is my personal experience now, mm-hmm. but you know, as a black woman, you're dealing with two problems. You're a woman and, and you're, you're black. black. So, you know, that feminism comes in there. You know, feminism deals with very much white white people. They deal with the the issues that white women face. And um, I think that's why white women are very much on the forefront of feminism. So I think when I believe it was mostly black women that kind of coined the term womanism instead of feminism, because there needed to be some type of distinction or, you know, there's black feminism and, you know, I haven't really scrubbed up on my sociology, so I could be quoting some things wrong, but it's because there's always been a distinction or we always have that added layer on top of that. Anyways, we got to go because mama got to go on a prayer call. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're just saying our goodbyes now. Uh, we're going to give our benediction. You know, we love you. So does God. I said it the wrong way. God loves you. And so do we. Please let us know um, your thoughts and your opinions. You can always send those over to our email. Who's child are you at gmail.com you can dm us on instagram and let us know how you feel in that is whose child are you um our personal pages will also be linked in the show notes i can't i can't do the whole username thing today i'm sorry um but yeah my my instagram mom's instagram will be linked there as well on spotify you can leave a um an answer i will put like a question like asking what your thoughts are and you can sound off down down there but if all hearts and minds are clear may the lord Watch between me me and me while we're absent one from from another. another. God bless you. Thank God. Thank God. God bless (laughs) you and have a good night. Bye. Bye.